on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me. And she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonished Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. First part of redemption is, is those first 10 or 15 minutes in the dressing room with the aftermath of a defeat like that. The last thing you want to be doing is signing autographs, getting pats on the back, laughing and joking when you get beaten by 17 points. I, I really do miss that rivalry and I miss those games and it's an integral part of the calendar and you really want me to be really coming and competitive games. It's, it, to me, it was always one of the big highlights of the fixture calendar every year. It's sad that we don't have that anymore. Hello, you're welcome to the throw-in. So we know the makeup of this year's Munster Hurling final and what a round of games it was in Munster over the weekend. We'll have John Milan and the Irish Independent's Michael Verney on to discuss the big talking points. And we also asked Milan about Selfie Gate. And no, the dubs haven't gone away. In football, Kieran Whelan will be here to talk about the return of the dubs and Derry's incredible run in the Ulster Championship, which has seen them take out another big name over the weekend. Uh, first, though, we're going to start with hurling. So it will be Limerick against Clare in the Munster hurling final on the June bank holiday weekend. John Milan and Michael Verney are here. John, it looked like Limerick's great rival this summer would be Washford after they won the league. But now they're not even in the Munster final and could be knocked out of the championship before the end of May. How did this go so wrong? I suppose I did say two weeks ago uh, that, you know, we kind of had the park Limerick aside and kind of focus on Cork. And Cork was our, our, our All-Ireland and it was a massive game yesterday for, for uh, Waterford. And unfortunately for Waterford, they probably kept their, their poorest performance. Uh, probably gave their poorest performance yesterday. They were very flat, lacked energy. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was thoroughly disappointing. You know, but on the flip side of that, you've got to give tremendous credit to, uh, to Cork and how they performed. I thought they were excellent. I thought they were in the second half touched on in the in the article Saturday that some of these car clags probably possibly had to look at the man in the mirror and Conor Lahan said in his interview after that they did a bit of soul searching you know and uh, that was evident yesterday I thought Harnady was was immense Dara Fitzgibbon was immense midfield uh, you know Coleman going back half back looked really really comfortable half back you know back to his best Thought Joyce centre back for a twenty year old was uh, was brilliant. Then they made the changes. Then you know Tim O'Malley coming in, really like the look of him full forward. You know he's an outlet that Carl can go, and uh, you know go long into into Tim O'Malley, and you know with players like Conor Lahan himself, he was excellent. So yeah, look, I think yesterday was was a massive game for Waterford. And now it's it's most unfortunate thing for Waterford. It's, it's out of our hands now. Uh, 
you know, destiny is in Cork's hands now. They're in control of, of their own fate. You know, if they beat Tipperary, they're they're going to be in a they're going to be in a, a an All Ireland uh, preliminary round uh, to get into uh, the quarter final. Uh, and great credit to, to Keon Kingston. You know, he was under under enormous pressure. You know, he fought every ball of him yesterday. Wasn't slow to make the changes. You know, Hoggy fair play to Hoggy broke the broke the record yesterday, but probably was probably one of Hoggy's off days. And you know, Kingston wasn't waiting around. His his neck was on the line and. Uh, he pulled Hoggy aside. I suppose from a Waterford point of view, I suppose outside of Austin Gleeson, uh, you know, I think some of the players they wake up this morning, um, there isn't a whole lot that can that can hold their head up and say, you know what, I performed uh, yesterday. And I think that's that's probably the most disappointing thing for for Liam Cattle is that, you know, so many of these players underperformed and didn't bring the levels that we've seen in in past games, particularly in the league. Uh, yeah, so look, from a water point of view, it's it's thoroughly disappointing. And look, I felt the last two, three weeks, as I, as I said, we were probably all getting a bit excited. But but the hype was after actually, you know, dying down. I actually thought that going into this game, it was it was ideal for Waterford. But yeah, thoroughly disappointing. And we are where we are now. We're, we've got the clear. And I think from a water point of view, they cannot get sucked into, you know, all this talk that, you know, Clare are going to rest players. You know, Clare, Clare will perform Sunday no matter who they have out in the field, and it's still going to be a difficult assignment for Waterford. So Waterford can only look after their end of the stick, try and get a result against Clare. And Tipperary, Cork, you couldn't, you couldn't say for certain that you know Cork are going to win that game hundred percent. Like now, look, Cork, their dander is up now; they're in a, in a fabulous position. But you know, Tipperary, if they bring the same level of heart and intensity that they brought to the Limerick game and they, and they bring it Sunday. Uh, you know, the old enemy, Tipperary, Cork, that fixture brings on a life of its own. So, you know, this game is a funny old game today. Mm. I mean... Did, but um, did, did Waterford peak too soon, John? Is that, was that where it went wrong? Possibly, possibly. And, and look, you know, there's an awful lot of people out there saying, oh, look, you know, I hold my hand up. I said Waterford possibly had probably the strongest panel in the country and I still stand over that I still stand over that these water players are top top players but we've seen it time and time again you know you look at Clare possibly 2015 won the league were on everyone's lips to push on and, and win, their, win their second All-Ireland in, in, in three years so yeah look possibly but yeah it's from, 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 from as a whole I think it's, it's, it's totally disappointing, you know? Yeah, no, it sure is. And Michael, you were in Cusack Park yesterday. This was an absolute cracker. Clare 24 points, Limerick 121. It'll be the first time Clare and Limerick play each other in the Munster final since 1995. And it really can't come quick enough. It was such a great game yesterday. They absolutely tore into each other. And we now know it is Clare who's turning into the challengers, the greatest challengers to Limerick this summer. Yeah, this was an absolute belter of a game. Proper Munster Championship fair. Every ball fought for, like, their lives depended on it. Um, if you got a ball in around that middle third, you were taking your life into your hands, trying to break a tackle. It was just the absolutely ferocious hits in there. Just over 18,000 there. Real raucous support. And Ennis is just everything is closed in on top of you. It was brilliant from start to finish. And 
just in Tony Kelly and, and ah. Darren Burns, we had two two prize fighters, you know, at their very best at, at either end of the either end of the field shooting points. Kelly hit 12 shots in the first half. All 12 went over the bar from a variety of angles, left and right, freeze from inside his own 45. And I don't recall ever before in championship, a wing back, even from place balls, hit, hitting nine points as, as Dermot Burns did, eight from place balls and a lovely effort from play. And just coolness personified at the end, but over that free with, with the whole of Ennis caving in around him and just willing him to, well, not the whole of Ennis, but the vast majority yeah. willing, him to, willing him to miss. And he was just ice cool. And, you know, funny enough, these two played in Ennis in round four of the league. And Claire really put it up to, to, to Limerick that day. And they've just, Matt, they've just brought that on. That, that I don't know. It's, it's usually, you know, a manager leaves some of his traits or his responsibilities or characteristics as a player on his team. And we all know Brian Lohan was just red helmet, full back, thundering out with ball, fighting for every ball, like his life depended on it. And th those are the characteristics that he's instilled in Clare. If you've beaten Clare this year or last year or the year before, you are going to earn it. And Limerick earned everything they got yesterday. And it's just, it's, it's set up perfectly for three weeks time when they meet again, Probably wasn't expected that Clare were going to be their toughest challenge uh, in Munster, let alone potentially their toughest challenge even in the All-Ireland race. But they've really, really stepped it up. And interestingly, like he, he's, his squad is getting stronger the whole time. David Reedy was on, in, included yesterday, came on. Don't know if we're going to see Aidan McCarthy yet this year, but we might well. Mark Rogers still to come back. Shane Meehan came on yesterday to make his, uh, to make his first championship appearance. And he's just getting the best out of a lot of guys. Like full back line yesterday, like Rory Hayes turned into one of the best cornerbacks in the country. Connor Cleary was brilliant yesterday. And Paul Flanagan, all the talk was probably about Kyle Hayes, Seamus Flanagan, even in their full forward line. They got very little hop off them. And um, yeah, it just set up perfect. It was just wrote me piece this morning. You know, at full time, there was lads, you know, there was handshakes and hugs and backstabs from lads that probably went to college with each other. But like for the 75 minutes before that, they were killing each other. And when the ball throws in on June 5th, they'll be killing each other again. And it was just, it was everything you could want in a championship game and expecting to see the same when they meet again. The only thing I'll say is you have to take the caveat of, you know, the game's best inside forward in Aaron Galan wasn't, wasn't featuring there. for Limerick. Yeah. You know, the two-time hurler of the year, Keane Lynch wasn't featuring. Garod Hegarty sent off on 64 minutes and yet Limerick, still find a way, even with all the controversy over the past week and a, a breach of team protocols, they're still able to find a way no matter what's put to them. And that's hugely impressive. Like, they are only going to get better. When those players get back on the field, they're only going to get better. And the fact that they've overcome these challenges in adversity, only you'd add, imagine that only makes them stronger. But isn't it, but, but isn't it gas how much, uh, you know, such an incredible job Brian Lone has done? I mean... You go back to when both these teams met in October 2020 in the COVID game, COVID championship game in, in, in Torres behind closed doors. And Limerick, Limerick were comprehensive winners that day. That was the last thing. Kelly got 17 points. And all the talk coming out of Torres that day was that Claire Hurland was in disarray. You're potentially going to be the next awfully. And in a, such a short space of time, you know, 18 months later, you know, you have a man like Brian Lone in there, you know, a cult hero for an awful lot of those players, well-respected around the county, got total buy-in of everyone in the county. And here we are now, Claire are back. 
And, you know, you think in our minor team during the week, extremely unlucky against Tipperary. Very, very good minor team. Their under-20s were extremely unlucky against uh, Limerick. So it just goes to show you, like, like Hurling, the landscape of Hurling can change off of one or two results, one or two big results. And look, everyone last week was talking that, you know, what direction Cork Hurling was going. And, you know, Waterford, at the start of this championship, were on it, one of everyone's lists. And now everyone is going back saying, what direction are Waterford going? So, you know, each week takes on a life of its own. And, and one or two big results can galvanise a whole county. And that's what's got to happen under, under Brian Lone, up in Clare. He's got to get a couple of big results. And all of a sudden now, Clare Hurling are in a really, really good place. And they've got total buy-in of the, of the Clare public. Yeah, and the two yellows, uh, John Tigrod, uh, Hegarty, John Carley said afterwards that he'll be appealing it. Um, Eddie Brennan said in his Irish Independent column this morning that Garrod is, quote, daring officials to Cardin by saying he's not going to back down. He's very loose with his hurl and he got pinged yesterday. Now, that's not to say he deserved the red card, end of quote. What do you make about that? Well, for me, uh, for me, I mean, it was an absolute joke that he was, he was, he was mm. sent off. And... I'm beginning to feel a bit sorry for himself, both himself and Austin Gleeson. Uh, and I just think there's just a thing out there now at the moment that these guys are six foot four, six foot five. Uh, no matter what goes on, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, lads hitting, hit, hitting players off, off, off the ball, you know, variables, a bit of sledging. Actually, look, they're grand. They are what they are. The, the size of them should they'll just get on with it. And I think, I think Shane Dowling called it out last night. Yeah. I think, you know, I think there has to be some form of protection um, offered to, to these players going forward, no matter how big a player they are. Like, you know, there's only certain amount of that you can, you can take. And look, I, I've been there in the past, you know, certain players, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll try the dark arts. And, and that was evident in Welsh Park yesterday. From the moment the ball was thrown in, they went after Austin Gleeson. Uh, you know, would you not think he deserved those two yellows, though, John? Pot, pot, uh, pot, in in uh, in contrast to the two yellows for Garrod Hegarty, possibly. But where I'm coming from, Sinead, some of the stuff that's going off, going on, uh, you know, off off the ball, you know, is you know, it's 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 uncalled for in in, in my eyes, and and I, and I hate to see it creeping in, creep creeping into the game. And what I'm just saying, as Shane Dowling touched on it last night, no matter how big a player these lads are or what reputation they have in the past, you know, there's only a certain amount of that stuff you can you, you can take before you before you're going to, you know, strike back or or hit back or or whatever. Because, you know, I, I just think it's 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 unfortunate for those, for those two lads, and there seems to be a target on on you know both Austin Gleeson and and Garrod Hegarty that, you know, will. will go after him and we'll try and get a reaction out of him and, and great credit to, to John Coyley and Kenork you know keeping Galan off uh, keeping Galan off the field just the, not putting him into that environment uh, you know I think that was a very very good move and I actually called a Friday night when, when the team Limerick team was announced I said there's no way Galan is, is, going, to be, is going to be put into that environment and, and Coyley took him out of that environment because you know players they go after the Galans they go after the Hegarty's they go after even myself in the past, you know, to try and get a reaction. And, you know, once the yellow card is dished out, you know, they, 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 they go after you even more to try and 
try and get you to react even more knowing you're on a yellow card. Clare against Waterford um, Sunday at four at the same time, Tipperary play Cork. Tell me how it's all going to uh, fold out this weekend. Oh, well, I don't know how exactly it's going to fall out. You, you, you Mystic Meg for that, but isn't it unbelievable that on Saturday evening we have three games where everything is on the line in Leinster Championship and then the following day, it didn't look like it, but we have two games where everything is in the line. Like, madly enough, like Tipperary can still qualify at the moment, even though they haven't won one of their, one of their three games yet. They'll need to beat Cork and they'll need Clare to beat Waterford. Um, and I think they'll need the score difference to balance off. I think they'll need to win by seven and Waterford will need to lose by seven for them to go through on score difference. From a Waterford point of view, I suppose it's so disappointing that John said that like they've left their fate out of their hands now and they're looking for, like, Liam Cahill, who turned down Tipperary, is looking for a favour from, from Tipperary. Tipperary. Like, that's how, that's how mad this whole scenario has been. If I was to say, what's the simplest scenario? I'd say the simplest scenario is Cork to beat Waterford or Cork to beat Tipperary and, and to go through. And I'd say that's probably... The most the, the the most likely thing, and I think I think Waterford potentially will be Clare and go tr- and uh, but they'll go out on head to head. That's probably what I'd say is going to happen. But um, history over the past couple of weeks would 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 uh, make little of any man or woman that tries to predict the provincial championships. Can we expect a miracle, John, and Waterford to survive? Why not? I mean, I take you back to twenty nineteen, where Cork were in a similar situation where. They met actually Waterford in the last game. Waterford had nothing to play for. Waterford probably gave their best display in that last game against Cork. Came up short. They only lost by a point or two uh, in that game. So, yeah, there's there's no reason why. And and as I said, look, Tipperary, you know, Colin Bonner, he's he's nearly half a Waterford man too. He's living here, down here in Dunhill. His kids are uh, his kids are are born and raised in Waterford. So, yeah, if Noel McGrath. Kyo, Jake Morris, these lads, if they turn up, they perform, and they keep it tight at the back, I see no reason why they why they can't put it off. Uh, now, look, from a car point of view, I think what I was, you know, we touched on some of the dark arts and a bit of divment. I mean, we were always questioning, you know, our, our cork a bit nice, and I thought they brought a bit of that to the table yesterday. And if they bring something similar next week, Cork, what they brought yesterday, they're going to be extremely difficult to beat. But the big question is, can they bring it again next week? Uh, you know, so yeah, there's still a bit of hope for Waterford. We're asking for a big favour of a Tipperary. We're going to have our Ukrainian flags out this weekend, supporting <laughs> Tipperary, and uh, hopefully we can get the result of an Ennis. And, uh, you know, who knows? It's still all to play for Sinead. And as I said, yeah, this game is a crazy game. Anything can happen. It's funny, Sinead, John talked about the man in the mirror referencing Cork last Saturday. That's right. Now we're looking at the man in the mirror with Waterford uh, and we're looking at the man in the mirror with Dublin this weekend, which we'll go into, do you know? Yes. What, what are we thinking of for, for Leinster this weekend then, Michael? Yeah, Asher, there's three fascinating games. Even like the, the lesser of the three games is, is Westmead, who had an unbelievable result against, against uh, Wexford at the weekend. Wexford, yeah. Yeah, like really disappointing from a Wexford point of view. We're, we're kind of in control of the game and two really sloppy goals. After such a good league, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just really two really sloppy goals that you don't see a seasoned Division One team conceding. But like all the plaudits really have to go to, to Westmead. Like Derek McNicholas that got the... They got the leveling goal. He's on the intercounty scene since 2004. Um, and just, you know, an unbelievable achievement for him. And it's, it's amazing when you go back through all the really good results 
all these various miracles in Mullingar down through the years. You know, they, they ran Kilkenny close there this year. They ran Dublin close earlier on. They got a draw with Wexford the other day. 2016, they're under 21s, beat Kilkenny there. They had a famous win over Offaly there uh, five or six years ago in the Leinster Championship as well. And to be fair to them, they've been really, uh, the Galway game aside, they've been really consistent throughout Leinster. As I said, you know, they've maybe faded in the last 10 minutes of games. But to say that they were able to get a draw against Wexford with 14 men, you know, it's a huge achievement for them. Leaves Wexford in a quandary going into, going into next weekend. They're going down to the, the Bear Pit in, in Nolan Park, knowing that they need a win, like, um, which, which is fascinating. And Kilkenny laid down, you know, a serious statement the other night. You know, John will probably go into it a bit more. I was just watching on the box. John was up there. But like, to say that Kilkenny went up to Parnell Park and destroy Dublin by double scores in the wind-up, that is some statement. Like, Keane Kenny, who'd never played in the inside forward line and was making his championship debut, ends up with four points. Massey Keown, who was only a, a late inclusion, you know, gets two crucial goals. Conor Delaney slips in a full-back for Hugh Lawler. Seamless transition. Just the ability to for people to doubt Cody and for him to answer them back emphatically, week on week, year on year, knows no bounds, in fairness. Yeah, what a response by Cody's team, John. Yeah, but look, as, as, as Bernie touched on it there, are we surprised? No. Mm. Uh, look, as, as Bernie touched on it there, we've seen it time and time again. You know, just when... And, and all there was a lot of rumours coming out of Kilkenny that, you know, the camp were... There was a bit of unrest in the camp and, and that TJ could be possibly uh, possibly dropped. So, yeah, from to answer all those questions... A, a complete performance by him and he'll be delighted in how TJ Reid performed in the, in the second half you know he was, he was immense in that second half Adrian Mullen was brilliant midfield and Richie Reid centre back you know Paddy Deegan you know he's decent centre back but probably doesn't have that delivery that, that Richie Reid has in giving into the, in, into the forward line you know where Richie Reid can kind of play, sit in front of the team we've seen how good he is with, with Bally Hale so that was that was that was a, that was a great move from them. Thought Connor Delaney came in, played very well, uh, full back in in Ewell Lawler's uh, absence. But yeah, look, it's all the signs are now that it's going to be Cody, Shefflin, Power Two, and boy, Gar, <laughs> I, I, I nearly love a ticket for that for that match. But yeah, look, Kilkenny, you know, Sinead, Whoever beats Kilkenny this year or knocks him out, they're going to have to perform. And and we've seen it up in Salt Hill. As good as Galway were up in Salt Hill, it still took the last puck of the ball to put Kilkenny away. So, yeah, I think Cody will be ex- delighted in uh, how they performed the weekend. Got it, got two points. And they look look forward to the Wexford this weekend. And they're in a great place now going into that game and possibly in a great place that will possibly put them into, into a Leinster final going forward. So I think they're calling it selfie gate now, John. Your comments about the poor Dublin players. What are you giving out about those poor Dublin players? You know, um, you know, supporters coming up to them afterwards, looking for a few autographs, looking for a few selfies. They're hardly going to turn around and walk and walk past them. Why were you giving out about them for? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not having any of that now. Now, now, look. Before I go into this now, right? I I've been on the record. I've given some of these Dublin players great praise over the last couple of years. No more than Owen O'Donnell, who for me is possibly one of the best, best fullbacks in the country. You think of Donald Burke, you think of Chris Crummy, you know, top, top players, Danny Suckett down through the years. But, but 
I'll tell you what happened now. I was on the radio duty and I wasn't after a right team moment or anything like that, but I couldn't get over what my eyes seen, right? Now, you're after losing a game by 17 points, right? Now, I can accept you have to, you know, it's it's within yourself that you have to go and do right by, by kids, get photos, take selfies, do a few autographs. That's grand, right? We've all been there. When you, you lose a game by 17 points, right? You start to make your way towards the dressing room, right? A few autographs and a few photos or whatever. But make your way towards the dressing room. You have to lose them by 17 points. Some of the players, what I couldn't get over, some of the players, the Kilkenny lads were gone in. TJ was just, was about to, TJ was nearly gone then as well. And it was about 10, 11, possibly 12 of the Dublin players. Still out in the field, the photographs, the autographs were out of the way. And then it was kind of friends were coming over and I seen some players laughing and joking. I actually seen one player and he kept the camera up like that with the phone and he taking taking the picture. And I just said to myself, like, what what type of mentality is this like? Like do you want to push on to the next level and, and break into that into that top four? And the first part of trying to redeem yourself for the for the following week, Sinead, is getting into the dressing room and feeling that pain. And I've been there before. Michael has been there before, where you get into the dressing room, you hang your head in shame, and you look around that dressing room, and you see the pain in all the other players' faces. I've been there myself before. I see the pain on Ken McGrath, Rick Welch, Kevin Moore, and that pain that you see in that dressing room drives you on the following week. But what my eyes seen in the aftermath of that game, it just wasn't just selfies and, and, and photographs. You can take five minutes, but they were still on the field 20 minutes later, 25 minutes later. And I was just saying in my own mind, like, where, where, are, they, where are this team going? Where are they mentality-wise? Like, a week later, if they win, if they win next, next Saturday night, they're in a Leinster final. But I'm kind of saying to myself, I'd give them no chance next Saturday night. And it's that's, that's, it's that's, their last home game uh, there at Parnell Park, you know, in the, in the championship as well, John. You well, know well, 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 I'll take it back, right? Cork lost to Limerick, right, this year by 11 points. Did you see any of the Cork players out in the field for 20 minutes after the game? No. Waterford's last home game against Cork yesterday. Did you see any of the Waterford players out in the field for 20 minutes, 25 minutes after? They ran to the dugout, John. They actually ran to the tunnel, like, to get ran, off. Ran, ran to the tunnel. Yeah. And that's what the big, the Lee McCarthy teams, the top teams think, Sinead. And if Dublin are to become a top four, top five team and become a Lee McCarthy team, I mean, the mentality has to change. And what will happen, Sinead, remark my words, in three, four weeks' time, we'll be back on here, three, four weeks' time, and they'll be calling for Matty Kenny's head. They'll be saying, it's time for Matty to go. But I don't know, you know, where Matty Kenny stands when I see the mentality of some, some of the Dublin players in the afternoon. Are you saying it's the players' fault or is it Matty Kenny's fault? I don't, well, I don't know. But what I'm saying to you is, you get beaten by 17 points. You make your way back to the dressing room. You sign one or two autographs. But what I've seen, they were out there for about 20 minutes. The Kilkenny players were gone in. And some of them were kind of just laughing and joking. So, like, if there was, if there was another 15 players were in the dressing room and the other 10 or 12 are out, are out in the field, sure, the first, the first part of redemption is, in, is, is those first 10 or 15 minutes in the, dress, in, in the dressing room with the aftermath of a defeat like that. And... We've all been there. Like, like the last thing in, on, on the last thing you want to be doing is signing autographs, getting pats on the back, laughing and joking when you get beaten by seventeen points. 
just on that, Sinead, I totally, just to contextualise it, I totally get your point. And it was the last home game in Parnell Park. And they do, there's a debt of gratitude that you owe to supporters and to, I suppose, give the next generation some time. But I'd be the same as John. I'd be jogging towards the dressing room and I'd be, I'd be moving. And if you were signing something or getting a picture, you'd be always getting closer and you'd be in the dressing room within a couple of minutes. Like I'd imagine if there was half the Dublin squad in the dressing room with their, you know, if their heads between their hands, absolutely just, I don't know if shame would be the right word, but they'd be disgusted with their performance. And all of a sudden, you know, there's another 10 or 15 lads that haven't made their way back to the dressing room yet. You need to, as John says, you, you, I, I don't know, if I was ever, anytime I was ever in that position, the last thing I wanted to do was talk to anybody or converse with anyone or do anything with anyone. You wanted to get in amongst your group. You wanted to say a few harsh words. You wanted to draw a line in the sand and you wanted to go again next week. So it's going to be interesting to see what their mentality and a lot will be told with their, with their performance. Uh, but they're going down to... They're going down to Pierce Stadium. This isn't in, you know, Parnell Park like three years ago. They're going down to Pierce Stadium and the odds are really, really stacked against them now. When I tell you after that now, John, there will not be a selfie done an auto- or an autograph signed for the rest of the summer. No, 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 no. Look, Doug, there's a time and a place for it. Like, of course. Like, look, the, the night they bet Wexford, they went to Wexford Park, I was on radio duties. That night, and they were all out in the field, out in the field, and and they, they stayed on that night, and and you know, great credit to him, massive kudos to him. That was the time to do it. But back in the night, when you have to lose them by seventeen points, I mean, the body language, I just questioned the mentality of, of of some of the players, and I questioned, you know, do they really want to get on to break into the, the top four, top five, or you know, or are they regressing even even more? Like, and you know, that's that's just where I'm coming from. Like, and that that'll be just me. Other players have different opinions on it, but that'll be my opinion on it, you know? Okay, good stuff, John. Thanks for that. The fallout inside Pam between Mick McCarthy and Roy Keane divided the nation. Captain Roy Keane was threatening to abandon the side at the very moment he was needed most. My, my thought when it was going off, they, they, they are absolutely going to come to blows here. It's been a troublesome 24 hours in paradise for Roy Keane. Some personal problems which are personal to him. And uh, he has to go home. And I went from a meal at half six on the Thursday and I was told it was a meeting at half past seven. And I knew what it was all about. I knew. Roy was sat beside me and Roy said it's going to go off tonight. That's what he said to me. In the middle of it, Mick came in and he had a notebook in his hand and he just said, Roy, there's an article in there. Mick didn't really say an awful lot. Returning from training today, he refused to comment on his decision to quit the World Cup the night before. And boom, that was it. Roy Wen. 20 years on, the Indo Daily revisits the story. Coming soon, Shadows of Saipan. Now we go to football and to the Leinster Football Championship. Kieran Whelan is here with us. So a 13-point win for Dublin over Mead, 127 to 114 in the Leinster semi-final at Crow Park yesterday. Kieran, were Dublin brilliant or were Mead awful? Yeah, good question, Sinead. I think it was a combination of both. Um, I think, yeah, Dublin were, listen, they were very clinical in their approach. Um, there was certainly a lot of good stuff. Uh, There's certainly, uh, you can see some of their key players have recharged the batteries. Uh, I think particularly going forward, they were they were excellent in terms of their movement. Um, very positive to see Lorcan O'Dell come in and get a couple of points. Tom Lift get a couple of points. Cormac Costa, I thought, yes, it was excellent. But I think, you know, while the basics around Dublin's performance were very, very good, and that would please Desi Farrell, 
Mead were really, really poor. Um, and it was a case of nearly waving the white flag, you know, before they even got to Crow Park, in my view. You could see from their body language, they just, they came without any sort of plan, structure. Uh, you know, spoke about last night, if you, you know, you go back and you look at Cork and Kerry, and everyone did expect Kerry to win probably by nine, 10 points but all you're asking from Cork was a bit of a performance a bit of steel a bit of backbone a bit of structure and Cork had that and kind of you know made it difficult for Kerry at times and got stuck into them physically Mead yesterday stood off Dublin um, you know didn't have any sort of defensive plan had very little going forward and they, they looked like a team that just really wasn't engaged in the process and had given up so it was far, all far too easy for Dublin so I, 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 I wouldn't over read into yesterday's performance too much from a Dublin perspective there's diff- there's tougher challenges ahead uh, the real questions of Dublin would be when someone brings them down the last 15-20 minutes and they need to run the bench or they have to come back from conceding a couple of goals you know if you look if you look coldly criticising Dublin yesterday you know they were very good apart from maybe there's one or two opportunities where Mead got in behind them uh, maybe for goals when it was one-on-one in the full back line but Mead didn't execute or didn't take their chances but aside from that it was just all too comfortable for Dublin Desi Farrow would be happy but for Mead well I don't know I don't know where they go from here because they were shocking yeah, I mean, that's pretty damning what you're saying there, Kieran, about me. So what does that say about McEntee's future as Mead manager? Yeah, well, listen, I'd say, listen, he's there, I think, six years. Michael might know. I think yeah. it's six years, six years. So, you know, when you're just, you're looking for, I suppose, you look back at last year's performance and they probably got within six points of Dublin, they rattled them in the second half. And you're, you're hoping that Mead would build on that. I, in some ways, I listen, it's very easy to sit here from a dub. I, I I really do miss that rivalry and I miss those games and as an integral part of the calendar and you really want me to be really coming and competitive games. It's, it, to me, it was always one of the big highlights of the fixture calendar every year. It's sad that we don't have that anymore. But I just thought the lack of fight yesterday and the body language from the Mead players is not good. So maybe they need to freshen things up, I would have thought. Um, and and it would be interesting to see what happens over the coming months. And just even on that as well, like they're going into the qualifiers now. Jack Flynn got a straight red. Jordan Morris, their best forward, got a straight red. Like you talk about some teams going into the Talchin Cup, maybe not full of optimism. I'd say Mead are going into the qualifiers like... Very, very low. Really, really low. I saw them against Wicklow and I saw absolutely nothing to suggest that they would put up much resistance to the dub. But you weren't surprised yesterday by that performance, Michael? Not really, but I was I was yeah. looking in looking in from afar while I was down in Ennis and yeah. I was still shocked by the you know, it was one seventeen to five points at one stage. You're not you know, I still think that Mead have a few forwards that can do a bit of damage. But I think from a Dublin point of view, yeah, there's probably a bit of balance needed in the sense that uh, they did what they had to do very, very professionally again, just as they did against Wexford. Um, you know, Meads, uh, maybe ineptness, maybe at times kind of played into that as well. But Dublin have definitely upped it a bit and it definitely looks like some of that, there might be an element of uh, short-term pain throughout the league and exposing, particularly likes of, I thought, like Larkin O'Dell looked an awful lot more comfortable yesterday. Now he's going to meet much bigger tasks uh, later in the summer, but he looked an awful lot more comfortable at that level yesterday. Um, they might have went through a bit of short-term pain during the league with a long-term vision and with that championship vision in mind. Um, it's funny, 
um, some teams have fallen down the pecking order, and whether it's whether it's by their own performances or otherwise, Dublin, Dublin have gone back up the pecking order yeah. and are probably just behind Kerry at the moment. But as Kieran says, bigger bigger tests away. But they've done everything that they've needed to do really, really professionally so far, and you couldn't but be impressed. Even the score lines, back putting up huge score lines. Maybe not the you know four or five goals that we're used to, but another you know big big score line yesterday, one twenty four, big score line against Wexford and conceded very little. So. Plenty of grounds for optimism anyway. I think, Michael, the key thing, the thing that would please Desi Farrell most, and, and it probably wasn't there prevalent in some of the league games they lost where they took poor shot options. I think out of the first 18 shots yesterday, they got 17 points, That's which nice. is just incredible efficiency. I think Fenton was the first after 23 minutes or something to put one wide, you know what I mean? And they didn't they didn't need him on the scoreboard yesterday, you know what I mean? He, he actually was one of the few that didn't score after getting five points against Wexford, you know? So great spread of scores, and they're the positives from Desi Farrell. And even Con been quiet as well yeah like they, not that they relied on the two of the games to Wexford but they really brought the, the, the game to Wexford and set the tone and how good of a sign is it that they weren't you know massively influential on the scoreboard and they were still able to put up the score the score that they did and Karma Costa maybe coming back to form and even just seeing Johnny Cooper coming in Niall Scully coming in there was a bit more experience maybe off the bench the options or the lack thereof that we taught earlier on in the league things are coming to the boil a bit now you'd say you probably feel this is probably a bit of a cause then as well for even James McCarthy, but it was just the attitude as well seems different, Kieran, didn't it? Yeah, well, well, you would expect that. And I think with the leaders, Sinead, that you have in that dressing room, you know, and and I do think, you know, there's a lot of hurt uh, after the league. And, and, and you know, you've you got to remember this. You know, you have the Brian Fentons, the John Smalls, the, the Scullies, the Kieran Kilkenny's, these guys didn't know what it's like to lose uh, and, and and they are great leaders in their own right. So you can see that there's, and, and it's probably only natural, maybe, you know, we, we, we tend to overread things and we probably overread the league to a certain degree, you know, for, for losses on the bounce. Uh, but these are big, big players, big game players. Um, and I think the positive is that that appetite looks re-energized. And, you know, I think Brian Fenton said after the Wexford game, you know, I think a reference this last week, you know, there's a chip on their shoulder and they've never heard that sort of language before, you know, in post-match interviews. So uh, they're definitely out. And, and it probably, you know, in some ways, it kind of probably suits them to stay nearly under the radar and uh, come from the blind side. And they're probably happy that they're, you know, haven't been pre-championship. Nobody tipped Dublin, you know, no. uh, nobody tipped Dublin. So they're just, you know, they're, they're still dangerous. Uh, but as I said, bigger tests to come. I think, Sinead, that's really fascinating that Dublin have always been the hunted and now they're the hunters. Yeah. And yeah. just even hear Fenton saying that, to know that they have a chip on the shoulder, to know like they've, they've ne- not necessarily ever really had a point to prove. Do you know what I mean? They were always the standard bearers. Now that mantle has been maybe taken away from them. As Kieran says, they're not been talked about. They've gone from being talked about in such glowing terms to maybe been talked about a bit negatively to maybe not been talked about much at all. So fascinating to see how Fenton, who had never lost the championship game up in the All-Ireland semi-final last year, the likes of him and, as said, John Small and other guys that haven't been on, uh, haven't been there during the bad days, how they react to some of those bad days during the league and even last year's All-Ireland defeat. So, yeah, it's, it's, set up, uh, it's set up nicely over the next couple of weeks and months. It is for sure. And it definitely has to make them more dangerous. So it will be good to see how they're going to respond to that. So we do know it's going to be Dublin against Kildare, kind of as expected, obviously, in the Leinster final. Uh, Kildare beat Westmead by three points, 121 to 215. Westmead's won no meal. O'Toole got a goal after just 12 seconds. Uh, Kieran, Kildare put up a good score, but they conceded a lot as well. So this game kind of showed both the good and the bad about Kildare football. 
Yeah, did really. And probably left a few lingering questions, Shane, about particularly on the defensive side. Um, it was it was a strange sort of game and um, lacked a bit of intensity, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, don't, whether, don't know whether the Crow Park environment helped that. Mm. Um, but I Kildare were never in threat of losing this game. Uh, never. Um, they were always in control. And, you know, they went seven, eight up in the first half. And I, I, at that point, I expected they were going to kick on and, and, and win the game quite comfortably. Uh, but Westmead got a goal just before half time. Again, you know, it wasn't great defensively from, from, from Kildare. And then they probably beat, I think they outscored them five points to one in the last 10 minutes to put a little bit of, you know, I suppose, uh, a more positive aspect on the scoreboard. But yeah, from a Kildare perspective, very, very good going forward. Um, very efficient in front of goal. Great guys that can take long-range scores. Ben McCormick was excellent yesterday. Daniel Flynn played a different role. I've got mm. a hell of a lot of time for Daniel Flynn as a footballer, but he's linking very, very well with the inside line. And he's pulling in defenders. He's not being selfish. He's bringing Highland into the game. He brought Dark Kerwin into the game. Uh, and, and their interplay was excellent at times. So, you know, Kildare midfield, front six, very good. But, you know, to concede, you know, 2-14, two, two, I think, from play um, from Westmead, that's pretty, pretty poor. I know Jack Cooney would have been happy with maybe the Westmead response. Uh, but I thought at times they just stood off Kildare and made it very easy for their forwards. Uh, so, yeah, they come, like, they're, they're definitely improving. We know the management team they've got. I, I sense they'll they'll come to Crow Park with with more belief than they have done in recent years because that will be instilled into them in the next couple of weeks. Um, but it's whether their def- back line can hold the Dublin forward line and, and whether they've improved in that regard is, is is questionable. They concede a fair amount of goals, um, and Dublin and the likes of Conor Callum will prey on that. So. It's yeah, it's going to be an interesting Leinster final. Kildare on an upper curve, but are they ready yet? Not so sure. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, just defensively, as Kieran says, you'd worry about the balance to their defence. Um, quite a lot of attacking players in defence, which is grand. But like, if you're picking, you know, six forwards, you don't pick, you know, six forwards that are all going to be able to score. Nor you don't pick pick six defenders that are all necessarily going to be able to defend. You need a balance of guys that are going to get forward and guys that are going to kind of keep the house very safe. And the centre defence, the spine looked open um, at different stages yesterday which is worrying. Listen, if they'd won by 10 points yesterday, maybe they'd be coming in with a false sense of security. So at least they know they've loads to work on and they know that they really, really need to tighten things up at the back because Dublin will expose them badly. But as Kieran says, it's an exciting point. It's an exciting time for Kildare up front. Like, Derek Kerwin only came back to fitness near the end of the league. Like he's a brilliant forward, really top top class forward, left or right. Daniel Flynn doesn't need to be lighting it up at the moment on the scoreboard. Can play more of a link man. Jimmy Highland's playing brilliant inside. He's just carried his league form the whole way through the championship. And the same with Ben McCormick, who's out centre forward now. He's playing the best football of his career after a couple of, of bad injuries. They will hurt you up top. It's just a matter of whether they're going to be tight and secure enough at the back. And listen, as I said, at least they've had those frailties exposed and what now, and they know that what they really need to work on over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Desi Farrell said after the game that his team are in a better position now than this time last year. And uh, he said he sees a lot of relevance uh, to their league loss in Newbridge, of course, when Kildare beat them 112 to 12 points. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Desi will be reminding them about that league defeat in Newbridge, uh, Kieran, in the build up to this one. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like that was, listen, it was Kildare, I thought, were, were excellent during the league, but particularly their form at home was good. Um, but I suppose in context, you know, Conlitz Park, I think, is the smallest pitch in the country. Um, Grow Park is very, very different, uh, a lot more wide open spaces. Um, so I think that's it's, it's going to be a very, very different different challenge for them in, in, in two weeks' time. But you know, as you said, they, they have, you know, they're there will be backbone to them. There will be backbone to them. And I'd agree, I'd agree with Michael that Kildare could have kicked on and won that game by 12, 14 points. And then everybody would probably be really building them up to have a good tilt of the dubs that they're in a good position because they blitz loud in the first you know, 10, 15 minutes as well. And maybe it, it keeps a bit of perspective on it and allows them to come with a plan and with a structure. And and maybe, you know, if you if you put the management team in place. You know, they might have been holding something back. Um, they may have felt that they had, you know, enough quality up front to take Westmead on in a very uh, man-to-man way and, and and play on the front foot, knowing that they had the ability up front, and 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 they might have been holding something back, and and, and it might come with a different structure, a different plan to try and uh, upset the Dubs. But definitely, the area they're going to have to go after the Dubs is holding that full forward line in close to goal and trying to get quick early ball into them uh, because they will. They they have the potential to hurt Dublin, but it's it's it, it's an it's an interesting dynamic for the next couple of weeks anyway. For sure it is now. Well, I have to say, Derry have got to be uh, the story of the football championship so far. They beat Tyrone. They beat Monaghan on Sunday, 312 to 17 points. They're through to their first Ulster final since 2011. This is just a dream run for Rory Gallagher and Derry, Michael. Yeah, yeah, it's a phenomenal run, really, because they were, you know, there's no point in saying different. They were pretty low when when he took over, and this is, I think, this is his third team to get to an Ulster final. He got got brought Donegal there, brought Fermanagh there, totally against the head, and now he's brought Derry there. Um, and it's just they were operating off a pretty small core of players, about seventeen or eighteen, but just they're, like they're really maxing out what they have at the moment. And I think what's one of the most fascinating things to see is the likes of a player like Shane McGuigan, who we know is a brilliant forward. And it can light it up uh, on the scoreboard. But just that uh, Gallagher has instilled in these guys that, yeah, you can do it at one end, but you're also going to have to put in the hard yards at the other end. And just the likes of him and, and you know, Connor Glass and these guys, who we know are real classy players, but they're putting it in at both, end, both ends of the field. And, you know, they dominated uh, Monaghan for large stages yesterday. Now, Monaghan not delivering when the expectations maybe are on them again. Maybe that's partly to do with part of this story here, but from a Derry point of view. And they're really, really good to watch as well. In fairness to, to Gallagher, you would have gotten criticism for the way Fermanagh played, maybe parking the bus and just leaving one up top with Sean Quigley. But he's operating for, with a different set of players here, with a different different calibre. And he's, they're playing, it's, it's an enjoyable style to watch, you'd have to say. And uh, yeah, they're, they're in with a serious shout um, in the Ulster final and even beyond after that. My, my one worry probably as regards whether they're an All-Ireland contender is, you know, when they pick up a knock or two, do they have the depth, and depth. to go into their squad? But they've been absolutely brilliant so far. And as you said, like two huge wins over last year's, you know, Ulster final pair and uh, the, the Ulster and All-Ireland winners to beat the last day. You can't really ask for much more from them so far this year. Here, I'll just go back to when you were a player and if you looked over on the sideline and your manager was Rory Gallagher going absolutely mental, would that do it for you? 
Pillar did it at the odd time, Kieran. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, the odd time. Uh, well, Tommy Carr done it as well. If you remember That's down in Turles, he he done it even more. He came in and you know had a word with the referee. He was very passionate about it. But the yeah, Dallas doing it all the time. It seems. I mean, the energy yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah, and obviously the players. I think one of the you know Gareth McKinless after the match they referenced the passion that he has and that it is contagious and kind of flows through the players. But uh, I think the one thing you can't argue with is that he has every individual really playing for him and they're giving it 100% and they're very, very well organised um, you know defensively, they've great guys and Chrissy McCaig and Brendan Rogers. they've good man markers inside they, they set up that shield across the 45 they've McGinley sitting in front of them, uh, very, very difficult to break down and, the, and that first line of defence is their full forward line working their Boat off across that line, trying to press the guys on on the ball. So they've all bought into it, um, and it's it's working very effectively for them. And they're a team with serious serious momentum. Um, and you know, I, I you always when Ulster teams get on a run, it's always a you know a, a caution for the others. Uh, when, when so they're going to be very competitive in that Ulster final. Um, if you were to look back yesterday from a Manon perspective, it probably was a period in the second half where Manon, I think, they got back to three and and it, the Derry defensive structure was wilting a small bit and Manon were playing with a little bit of a wind and they were beginning to pick scores off around the D. They were getting in a little bit. They were getting five, ten yards closer to, to, to get their shots off and they were under a lot less pressure than they were in the first half. So, you know, the goals were huge for Derry at crucial times that gave them that momentum. And I think that their biggest challenge going forward is, you know, whether they have that full 70 minutes, if, if, if they're, you know, they've in the last two games, they've got crucial goals that have given them a platform and they've got ahead. They've got that six, seven point cushion and they've been excellent in kind of closing out the game. So I think their challenge would be when they're, when they are pushed down that stretch in the 10, 15 minutes, whether they have uh, the full 70 minutes in to be able to hold that structure together, but so far so good and looking really strong. Uh, and, and like, that was a proper championship game yesterday, like comparing that to, watching the games in Crow Park, they were just poles apart, absolutely poles apart in terms of intensity and the road testing that the all the Ulster teams are getting through the quality of the Ulster Championship is I think is going to give them a big advantage in the next three or four weeks. And just briefly, Michael, will it be enough? Do they have enough to beat Donegal in the final, do you reckon? Yeah, well, did, I suppose you have two teams coming in on, on a bit of a high. Donegal with question marks maybe over them after the league and delivered a fairly you know comprehensive display against Armagh. Derry coming in on the crest of 22 waves now. Tough game to call, to be fair. Really, really tough game to call. Rory Gallagher obviously has, you know, it's from a few years back, but has fairly intimate knowledge of the Donegal setup and, and some of their marquee men. Um, and there's a score in that game, realistically. Uh, could go either way. Probably be favouring Derry at the moment, if, if I'm honest. But um, yeah, that's that's set up for a brilliant final. And as Kieran says, they will be so road-tested, like Tyrone or last year going into the All-Ireland stages. So interesting to see whether that stands to them. Doesn't look like Kerry got 60 minutes against Cork. Remains to be seen what sort of a test they'll get in the, the Munster final. Dublin haven't had much of a test so far. I've only do, done what they've had to do. And I suppose Galway or Roscommon or whoever comes out of Connacht will be fairly well road tested. But the Ulster boys will definitely be ready to go for the for the All Ireland quarter final, semi final stages. Anyway, definitely they will indeed. And Michael, just as well, um, Limerick as well into their first Munster football final since 2010. They beat Tipperary at the, week, the weekend. This Billy Lee machine is just is just keeping going, isn't it? 
Yeah, phenomenal, really. Um, in 2018, Billy made 53 unsuccessful calls for to different players to come into the squad. That's obviously, you know, that's where people viewed Limerick football at that time and maybe didn't see much hope for them. But he's totally persisted. He's a really good, uh, he's a really good group of people around him as well. I think they've really, really gone after the conditioning side of things, much like their hurlers uh, in the last couple of years. You look at the physique and the likes of Josh Ryan, Ian Corbett and these lads. Like, they were seriously athletic team and they've made massive strides going to play Division 2 next year. Um, like Tipperary, to be fair, this isn't probably the Tipperary side from two years ago, just personnel-wise. Michael Quinlevin and a lot of other guys no, no longer involved. Obviously, Colin O'Reardon's not, not involved and hasn't been involved since that 2020 uh, Munster final success. So Limerick probably were favourites coming into this game. They did exactly what they what they needed to do. Um, I know Billy's kind of saying they, they kind of just have to kind of look after themselves going into the Munster final and make sure to deliver some sort of performance. They're going to be up against it, but I think it's the first time since 1934 that Limerick are in Munster senior hurling and football finals in this in the same year. And I've said it before, uh, but like it hasn't happened yet, and Paul Kinnark hasn't dipped his toe in the the inter-county football sphere, yeah, but he's been, in, he's basically driving the Limerick Football Academy, Academy for the yeah. last six or seven years. And I think, like, the Limerick, whenever he decides to step away from the Limerick hurlers, the Limerick footballers are not going to be bad, in a bad position. I wouldn't be surprised if he slipped in there. And that's a fascinating prospect. Like, a lot of their academy players, very, very few of them, if any, have come through to the senior setup yet. So what we're seeing now, potentially, will be even better again over the next four to five, six years. So, yeah, it's going to be a difficult monster final, but it's brilliant to be there. Everyone forgets probably that like Connor Sweeney's sideline kick in 2020, that forced extra time and Tipperary went on this mad run and that could have been Limerick easily. So they're, get, they're getting their just rewards now. Yeah. Um, just before we go, lads, uh, the Talton Cup, the draw for it was also uh, made this morning. Now, the GA president, Kieran Larry McCarthy, said, uh, and it's quite some hope that he has. He says they hope he hopes it takes off uh, like a meteorite, the Talton Cup. Will it? Uh, not so much. I think Larry might have been you know, a little bit overexcited. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, we've all... I think everyone has pushed for a second-tier competition. I um, always felt it was really important because it's absolutely no benefits and you see the turnover of players particularly in the weaker counties getting hammered in the provincial championships which are outdated and gone and i think the new structure has definitely put a print on the provincial championships that it's the first step maybe of phasing them out and i think it is usually important when i think when you see the benefits of division three and division four league winners and what it means them getting back to Crow park it's it, it, it it's going to be interesting to see how a county's approach it i think you're hoping the large majority will approach it in 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 a serious manner and they'll see it some would probably see it as a development opportunity really to to give players game time uh particularly in the first couple of rounds and i think if if teams progress then to the semi-finals i think hopefully with them being live on tv and the final that that that, that will give good exposure to it and and and, and there would be a bounce at the, at the latter end of it but i think it is it is an it's an important competition and uh everybody has said that it needed the respect needed the marketing it needed its own all-stars award needed all the benefits to get the players engaged and and i think we have to be positive and hope that it is a success um i know people would feel it's it might feel a little bit 
haphazard in the last couple of weeks. Nobody knew that it was going to be north and south uh, split. Uh, that you know there was a lot of detail that was a bit sketchy the last couple of weeks, and people were concerned would it get the same treatment. But let's hope that it does. It's thrown up a few inter- interesting fixtures this morning, but it, I think it's important that the weaker counties get this development opportunity and try to get a few games under their belt. Okay, Kieran and Michael, thanks for that. That's it from us. Philly McMahon's throw-in will be out on Thursday. You can listen, rate and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now. The fallout inside Pam between Mick McCarthy and Roy Keane divided the nation. Captain Roy Keane was threatening to abandon the side at the very moment he was needed most. My, my thought when it was going off, they, they, they are absolutely going to come to blows here. It's been a troublesome 24 hours in paradise for Roy Keane. Some personal problems which are personal to him and uh, he has to go home. And I went for my meal at half six on the Thursday and I was told it was a meeting at half past seven. And I knew what it was all about. I knew. Roy was sat beside me and Roy said it's going to go off tonight. That's what he said to me. In the middle of it, Mick came in and he had a notebook in his hand and he just said, Roy, there's an article in there. Mick didn't really say an awful lot. Returning from training today, he refused to comment on his decision to quit the World Cup the night before. And boom, that was it. Roy went. 20 years on, the Indo-Daily revisits the story. Coming soon, Shadows of Saipan.